Hey, I'm Jackson Lansing. And I'm Colin Kelly. And you are listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Well, Happy New Year, Cap fans, and welcome to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is Rick Verbanis, and we are into episode 169, if you can believe it. And uh, as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is one Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can you can count me out? You say you got a real solution. Well, you know, we'd all love to see the plan. You ask me for a contribution. Well, you know, we're all doing what we can. You say you want a revolution. All right. Okay. I, I know uh, from secondhand that this is this is this has got to be a Beatles song, right? It is, is a Beatles song. It, yes. I yeah. threw the lyrics a little out of order because uh, I didn't want to quite give it away. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, but I picked the ones that I thought were pertinent because, uh, Bob, I don't know. Why am I greeting you with a Beatles song revolution? Well, would it have anything to do with the fact that our guests tonight have been intimately involved with a recent series that uh, had a lot to do with a very uh, New World Order sort of arc with one of the characters, a beloved character, going by the name The Revolution? It's in in indeed true. Yes. Yeah. So that would be James Buchanan Barnes, a.k.a. Bucky, a.k.a. Winter Soldier, AKA now known as the revolution. So yeah, we're talking today with the, with the writers who gave him that name and that is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. They're coming back to the show for a third time. And uh, you know, it's going to be fun talking about them because they have a new book out called the Thunderbolts. It's a new series. Uh, and it, it's a, a lot of the same characters that we saw from their time on Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. So we thought, listen, it's the same characters. We're, we're, we're following along a lot of the same storyline. We got to have them back on. Yeah. And like Rick, this is getting to be like SNL, right? Where uh, we have, a, you, there's a certain hierarchy of, of guests that have uh, guest hosted SNL and, you know, it becomes very rarefied as you get, get to the top ranks i mean like the rank the, the likes of steve martin and uh and alec baldwin and uh gosh you who ever, else do you ever see the uh the, the skit where um alec baldwin was hosting and steve martin was there and they went, went into like a side room like a kind of like a bar and they're waiting uh to go on and and uh -huh. steve martin kept trying to like poison him so that he couldn't get out there and host <laughs> do you ever see that yeah yeah, that's really funny. I mean, you could yeah. probably just YouTube that. Uh, and there's a cameo by Martin Short yeah. who, who comes up and he's like the waiter delivering drinks. And Steve Martin's like, sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're, we're, it's getting to be that way on our show. A few folks have been uh, a couple times, right? But now we got a three-peat. Yeah, well, you know, I think, I do think that... Um, Jason Olson 
Yeah. Might he might argue with you. Was it yeah. wasn't he a three peat? I think he you're right. He might be a three peat as well. Yeah. 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 He was the first three peat. So yeah. he might be poisoning Jackson and or yeah. Colin. Uh, as far as yeah so that's kind of funny uh but anyway uh happy new year uh if you're listening when this episode comes out it's january 3rd 2024 and we just celebrated our three-year anniversary of this podcast hard to believe bob it's 2024 any new year's resolutions you know rick i've been thinking about that um you know and i've decided i'm gonna i'm gonna try not to work as much <laughs> so i know that that will come as a surprise to you <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the least you could do yeah you know uh I, you know i've been thinking about this and uh you know i've just been i've been working too much mm-hmm. uh you know because you know i have i'm a day job and then i teach at the university and, and uh you know of course i got a family too just as you do and uh you know there's only so much time in the day and I'm not, I haven't been taking care of myself well. Mm-hmm. So I need to, I need to make some time to do that. Stop working through lunch and, and uh, you know, stop working on the weekends and nights and stuff like that. And, and, you know, draw some boundaries around, around my, my work, work-life balance. So that's going to be my, my resolution for 2024. I like that. I do. I like that a little self-care. I think everybody has to like sort of, step back and think about that, you know, and, and I, and I'll tell you, we, my wife and I have these conversations a lot um, because uh, she's kind of tuned in, you know, she works for city government and, um, and, but she used to be a, a trainer that went out and uh, did uh, corporate trainings and, mm-hmm. and uh, trainings for municipal government. And, and one of the things that always seems to interest people are generational differences. And mm. uh, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, sometimes it's, it's all in good nature. Sometimes it's, it's not, sometimes it's, it's a bit more critical about sort of younger generations and, and how they, you know, they're, they're not the same as boomers or even Gen X when it comes to, uh, you know, their commitment to corporate, the corporate world or corporate life or the expectations of, uh, of, you know, previous generations around, you know, well, go work, you know, nine to five, suck it up mm-hmm. and just do it. They are much more attuned to work-life balance and much more demanding when it comes to work-life balance. And we talk about this a lot. Um, and over the course of, you know, talking about this over a year, you know, I'm actually a lot more, uh, I have a lot more admiration for that. I, I think that's important. And I think a lot of us do get caught up in it that like, we got to bring home the paycheck and do whatever it takes. And, but sometimes it's more than just what it takes, right? We just get so wrapped up in our work and it becomes a big part of who we are to the exclusion of who we are, mm. um, right? And, and yeah, sure. we can all stand to like step back a little bit and take a look at that work-life balance and well, maybe, maybe carve out a little extra time for self-care and family care and things like that. Yeah, uh, so I, I agree uh, with you. I mean, because- I mean, Bob, you are not getting any younger. And so uh, I, I think it's a good thing for you. And and, uh, and and by the way, for me, 
I totally disagree with you. hundred percent uh, has nothing to do with the fact that my boss or, or colleagues could be listening right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, in fact, when we get off doing this, I'm getting back on the computer and answering <laughs> yeah. work email. I noticed all those papers spread around your desk. Like yeah. You know, yeah, like absolutely. I'm, I might even take a work call while we're, uh, yeah, we're talking with break. Jackson and Colin. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, I hear you. I hear you. You got any, uh, what are you, what are you going to, <laughs> you know, you got, well, you got a long list there. I see you got like a pad of paper. Is that, yeah. is that your list of resolutions? Uh, yes. There's, there's those little ones that my wife wrote for me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I've been saying this for a while now. Uh, I feel like a broken record. I need to lose some weight, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, I realized this, uh, cause you know, it was like towards the end of the summer, I yeah. started putting on the pounds and, okay. you know, most people, you know, they look at me and they're like, really, you know, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you have no idea what clothes I can't fit into right now. Yeah. And I, 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 I realized this, you know, uh, in the last few weeks, uh, month or so. And, uh, it's like, I got to do something about it. Yeah. So, so it's really hard to do it during the holidays, um, counting calories and, you know, you try to make better choices, uh -huh. but, um, you know, I, I got to, you got to do better than just make better choices. So yeah. I, uh, I'm going to be getting back onto this little calorie counter that I have and start logging my food. I got to make better, yeah. better choices with my food and my drinks. And, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a major resolution for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I share that, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but a few weeks ago I went through a, uh, I went through a, I had to have an upper GI, you know, endoscopy. Yeah. And, and, and I haven't had my follow-up yet with the doc, but when he came in, I, of course, I'm still half under the, the spell of amnesia, you know, not anesthesia. <laughs> amnesia See, you can't thing. even remember. I can't remember what the <laughs> hell, but he came in and he told me, you know, okay, you got this, you got some gastritis, inflammation of your stomach lining, probably what's been causing you some discomfort. And you got, I think, you know, he said I had a hiatal hernia, which is like up near the esophagus where it goes into, into the stomach. And, and I can't remember if he said, I, I, you need surgery or you don't need surgery. So I'll find out. This would be a nice big surprise for you, mm -hmm. like a New Year's surprise. But surprise. But thing, I thought he said, I thought he said, now it doesn't make any sense to me, but I mm -hmm. thought he said you could lose some weight. <laughs> now it might've been the drugs talking. It could have been the anesthesia talking, but I don't know because, uh, you know, that's something I'll have to follow up with him as well because I'll, I'll uh, but I came home and I, I, I told my son that. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, kid. <laughs> so yeah. So you know, I may have to may have to lose a few pounds, be back on the 10-pound, the you know, sprint or something. Do, but do we those... dare no. do the contest again, Bob? <laughs> I'm not doing the contest again. It's been two years. No, I'm not doing the contest again. But uh it's all part of the self-care, right? Uh -huh. Like I, I need to like stop, step away from the desk and go out, go for, a, I used to go for a walk every day at lunch. You know, I live in, a, I work in a beautiful area. I can go for a hike, you know, at lunch. I need to do that more and just, it's all, it all goes together, right? Eating better, taking some time to, to get some exercise and, mm. and lowering the stress, man. Just stop worrying about so much. Yeah. I hear you about, I yeah. hear you about lowering the stress. In fact, I've been thinking of, of, uh, taking some of these um, podcast chores and, uh, and, you know, putting them on someone else's plate. Yeah, you should do that. Absolutely. 
Uh, let me see. Yeah. Uh, let's, we should advertise it in the group. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I hear yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so Bob, another resolution I have is that on January 27th, I don't do something to embarrass myself. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that is uh, when you and I finally yeah. meet in person for the That's first right. time. That's right. All right. We're going to well, be going to the original Art Expo down in uh, Orlando, Florida, Orlando. or up in Orlando, Florida for you. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I need to make sure uh, that uh, I, I, I don't do anything that uh, you're like, Rick, I'm sorry, I can't do this <laughs> podcast anymore with you. Shuffle the clown. I met my wife at back when we were dating. She she was she went to China and she came home from China and I met her at the airport in San Francisco and I had on a huge Afro clown wig and a red nose uh, at the here <laughs> at, at the baggage claim. So with a big sign, you know, big handwritten sign. So and she's like, I don't know who that person is. Yeah, something about picking her up for her admission to clown college or something. But anyway, yeah. Uh, how old were you? Oh, we were. I well no, I mean we weren't young young because this was grad school, so I, I was probably thirty four, <laughs> thirty four. So nice, yeah, nice. Um, you know, I would love to say that we've got a a new review to cover, but we still don't. Uh, I don't know what's going to take people. Yeah, uh, go on Apple, give us five stars, leave us a comment, and we will do it here. And I will even do it in any voice you tell me how about that for uh some sort of um i guess that really isn't some yeah. sort of even a british woman <laughs> despite his misgivings <laughs> oh i don't even want to go there um uh, birthdays bob there is one birthday uh don heck actually celebrated a birthday yesterday or he would have celebrated a birthday yesterday he passed away back in 1995 at the age of 66 but don heck was a uh a long time illustrator comic book illustrator uh mostly known for doing the avengers so he certainly did a lot of captain america and the avengers um and then he i think he did a couple of captain america um like he, he did like an annual or something like that, but mostly he did cap in the Avengers, which is where he had his longest run. And then he also did a ton of Thor and Iron Man and so on. So, uh, uh, you know, happy belated birthday to Don Heck. Indeed. Indeed. A real talent. All right. Speaking of talent, we, we should be uh, letting Jackson and Colin out of the green room uh, and get to uh, get to our conversation with them. Yeah, let's do that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we're here with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, a.k.a. The Hive Mind. Uh, welcome back to the show, guys. Uh, hard to believe it's it's been 11 months, almost to the day, since we've had you on. And uh, you were talking about your first arc of Sentinel of Liberty and, and giving us a sneak peek into the Cold War crossover. And a lot has happened since then. Hasn't it just? Uh, thank uh, you so much for having us back. Uh, it is actually, it is. I didn't realize that. Uh, how delightful. My goodness, what a year can bring. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I was really heartened to hear that you had uh, Alana Smith on uh, to chat about yeah. the book. Well, I actually listened to that podcast because I was really, I was, I, I, I was as, as interested in the sort of, uh, how that was being framed as anything. I think all of that, that whole process was such a, uh, like simultaneously a, a thing that we, you know, coming on to Captain America was so impactful for us. It was such a beautiful thing. We were so thankful to be there and, and really like glad to be able to tell our story. And then for a legend, like for a writer of the of the magnitude as JMS, right? A, a, a writer who like Paul and I both owe it a huge amount to. I've been showing off my Babylon 5 Blu-ray collection all week to everybody who will show me because it finally arrived. Like we love JMS. So having him come in with his own take and his own thing and to really push that forward, it meant that we had to be a little bit creative about how we kept on doing Captain America. And I don't know if Thunderbolts had been announced at the time that you interviewed Alana, but it really felt like that became, Thunderbolts became our way to say, hey, we love what we're doing in Captain America. How can we um, how can we keep that going? And how can we keep a, uh, a good portion of that plot alive uh, that maybe isn't going to fit into what JMS wants to do? And, and rightfully so. Um, can we, you know, take this and, and have, build, you know, our own space? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun to do. So before we get into questions on, on your final story for Sentinel Liberty, um, so let's let's get that out of the way. That's uh, how your run ended. At what point were you told your run was ending? How did you react? And and when were you told you could launch Thunderbolts? Those two things were basically simultaneous. Um, we it it wasn't far off. Um, I think we knew around the beginning of Cold War uh, that we weren't going to go another year. And we'd always, you know, at, at Marvel, you never know what's going to happen. You you always write for your order, which is something we've really learned and embraced on Guardians of the Galaxy and certainly are embracing on Thunderbolts. Um, but on Cap, we sort of had an alt uh, option. We could have gone for another year or we could have stuck around. And, and we sort of knew that was up to the publishing line and where things were going and what editorial was interested in doing. And ultimately, I think, you know, ultimately just you get sales numbers, you get the the feedback you get, you get the decisions that you get from, from um, you know, much further above our pay grade. And you, as a writer, it's kind of your responsibility in this particular context to, uh, like, work, go with it and find your way through it and build something exciting that you can, you know, be proud of. And so I think pretty much immediately after hearing, like, hey, I think... This is going to be the end for both of these books. You know, we, Tochi and us, we were all told at the same time, like Sentinel and Symbol are both going to end at the same time. We're going to build out this Cold War. We're going to do these finales. Here's how we're going to do it. And they laced it all in. And I think we were able to take probably a week before we just went back and said, great, can we have Bucky? Is, is, anybody, <laughs> is 
Bucky, uh, what about Sharon? Do they have big plans for Sharon? Because we just did this destroyer thing. Could we run that forward? And fortunately, there was an appetite for that. Fortunately, both because I think of what was going to be movie synergy before the strikes and also because of, truthfully, a desire to see that plot move forward. Marvel liked the revolution. They liked the outer circle. They like the destroyer. They they backed us doing that the whole way. I think they've been interested in those ideas. So it was great for us to be able to have a place to build them out. And and I think that's really what Thunderbolt's got to become is like in being a bit of a quote unquote smaller book, like it's not like a, a main, it's not Captain America. Um, in, in, in building that out, I think there was kind of a sense of, uh, of freedom that we wouldn't necessarily have had in like a, an A-list book work, you know. And I think, you know, when, when we first got the news, um, you know, obviously no one loves to get that news, um, but you can kind of take it in a few different ways, right? Like, obviously what we know, you guys know Alana. Yeah, you heard from her. Like, she is not someone who doesn't love all of her books. Um, she would love this book to have gone 10,000 years, but obviously there are things beyond our control. Um, so after you kind of get that, you know, you go go through a little bit of your grieving process. Uh, and during that, you know, we certainly talked with some other more established writers. You kind of talk with people and you kind of get their, solicit their opinion. And I remember, um, not that no needs to be named names, but like there's a certain perspective. Sometimes if your book gets canceled, screw them, right? End on a cliffhanger, right? Like end in some way that's going to give them, like, you know, show the audience, make them hungry, make them say, man, I wish we could have always gotten more. And that leads them excited for perhaps the next time you come to the character, right? And Jack and I, that's just not how we work, right? Like maybe maybe it's a poor move politically, but to us, you get a chance to end your story, you end your story. Um, they were cool enough to be able to give us, we asked for the not only the uh, short we did in 750, which kind of the funeral for Roger, but also the finale issue, that oversized, super juicy final issue to kind of close out our story, um, because it was really important that our the fans, the people who love this, who are reading it really on board, and Lord knows, there are a lot of fans of this run. Um, every convention we do, there are people who are coming up saying, this is the run that got me into Captain America. And that fills our hearts. That is exactly what we have always wanted it's to an, hear. It's an insane thing to hear. It's a really it's an insane, insane thing to hear. And then we say, uh, have you read uh, Mr. Brubaker's work? <laughs> um, but um, knowing that that was kind of, that was going to be our little, our closing coda, and we got a chance to land the plane, we knew that we absolutely wanted to be able to, we wanted people to be able to point to this and say, this was our run. It's a full story, you can wrap your teeth around it, that's what you do with teeth, right? You can wrap <laughs> your teeth around it, um, you can really get that full meal, but in our minds, um, perhaps eminent hubris, we see it as kind of chapter one, perhaps, of where this saga might be going. And we don't know exactly where it might be going, but we do love these characters. And it is our absolute intention now that our, our claws are sunk into them, that we continue to tell stories with them. Yeah, first of all, I, I want to get into that little story in 750, as you put it. But uh, I, I, that, you know what, I never really thought about it the way you put it, that, you know, you get that you get that notice and uh, you're like, I'm going to leave them on a cliffhanger. Uh, I never really gave that much thought, but kudos to the two of you to, to not let your, you know, the, the readers um, have that cliffhanger because you guys build up a huge cliff. It was a mountain, right? It was a huge, like this was, this was not a cliff. This was a mountain. And, and quite frankly, to, you know, to, to get to the point where you could, 
give us some resolution um, that we all desperately wanted to see between Steve and Bucky. Um, you know, kudos to you guys for for pushing for that. I, I, I think it, it it didn't require a lot of pushing to be to, to, for what it's worth. I think we we pushed on that ourselves. I think Lana was was aligned in that regard with us as well. I think there's there's been a general sense on that book that we all wanted to end it really um, definitively and put those pieces down, mostly because it it honestly felt the the alternative feels like such a um, a potential uh, for there's the opportunity for the writer to come in five, 10 years down the line on a different book and pick up the outer circle if we don't do what we did. But we had to put that down. Those we, we set up all those characters. I feel like if we'd just been like, oh, and now the Marvel Universe gets to have them. And if you want to play with the outer circle, they're out there and they're doing their thing. That's how a lot of these stories work. I don't think it's, it's a mistake. I don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing. Um, but I think that in this particular context, like you put it, it would have just robbed closure from the whole thing because if they were still out there, Bucky wouldn't stop. So because right. of Bucky, for like character-focused reasons, we had to end this line. Like we had to end this story. We had to put most of the outer circle either in the grave or in the dungeons of Doctor Doom uh, to like truly put them away so that we could put that next step on Bucky. And once we realized that, and, and once we sort of had that synergy with Marvel that we could do this as a Bucky series, and really do this as a way to hone in on what what James is going through and how that affects his friends, his allies, his rivals, his lovers, how all of that stuff gets uh, affected and use Thunderbolts as a framework for that. I think once we realized that, then it was like, great, everything else can go to bed because we know that we're gonna pick this up and then pop in the most iconic antagonist in Captain America's entire arsenal, the Red Skull. So that oh, we we're can, gonna get to that. So <laughs> that we can really properly make this feel like a Cap Universe book. Because that was, for what it's worth, uh, Alana's whole sell at the very beginning of this was she wanted Sentinel and Symbol to be the beginning of what you could do with a Cap line. What does it look like to have Cap-affiliated books, that it's not just Captain America, but there are other teams or books that are associated with that? What is that? How can we make that universe out in the Marvel Universe the same way that the X line has become the X line? Um, Cap is contained within the Avengers line, but he can be more than that. And so this was kind of a cool opportunity to be like, well, Thunderbolts is kind of already a captive-aligned book because of Zemo. Why not just sub out the the, the kid he blew up in a rocket um, as the uh, <laughs> the lead and see how that works? One last tag on there, because I do want people to really understand something that is really important to us, too. And it's something that we, um, we are seeing as we mature as writers, honestly, and start to become part of this larger Marvel fan base, right? That we have this incredible community that's looking at what we're doing. We realized that um, if we break something, we must put it back together. Like it is incredibly important that you don't get a reputation of breaking things and walking away. That is the height of hubris because breaking things is cool right? Oh my God, they're never going to be friends again. What a hook. What a, what a cliffhanger. What, what, what a great way to draw readers in. But if you don't actually bring them back together, if you don't actually resolve that conflict, then you're, it's really a cheap gag. So we knew that even though this story was going to be about turning um, Steve and Buck really back against each other, right? Having Bucky go through that heel turn um, to kind of find that original conflict between the two of them, we always knew that we would need to be bringing them back together. Um, and we could have done that in a hundred stories. Um, you know, we did it in this length. And I think it all comes down to the hug. 
right? We're two best friends who write about being best friends. And um, we refuse to take characters that we love and leave them in positions of heartbreak. Um, it's really important that we close those emotional circles uh, to us, just I, as, exactly. as both men and writers. I'm not even going to say anything on top of that. That's exactly right. Totally. All right. So, so let's talk about how Cobol, the Cold War storyline and the series ended. So one of the things we discussed previously was your goal to set up a conflict that had two friends, Steve and Bucky, in conflict with two completely fundamentally different viewpoints. The scene with the two of them at Roger's funeral in 750, uh, I'm not going to lie, it, it made Bob shed some ugly tears. Um, but, uh, and, and maybe I, I got a little choked up. Um, do you, do you feel like you accomplished your go goal of, of the overall story, e even with the sudden decision to cut it shorter than expected? Uh, absolutely. We got I, Bob's I, tears. We always say, all we want is, <laughs> all we want is Bob's tears. All we want is Bob's tears. Yeah. Huzzah. Um, I, I, I really feel like we nailed it. Uh, no, look, I, I don't, I don't think we can ever ask or answer properly the question like, do you think you did it, guys? Like, I'll reread an issue a hundred times and tell you a hundred ways that it's bad or that it's good. I, I will be my own biggest fan and my own worst critic and Colin's, Colin well knows his worst fan and his worst critic all at the same time, right? <laughs> so like, we're we're very, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can make like a, like a, a qualitative judgment. What I can say is um, it was, it all felt the whole time like Bucky and Steve were never even in question. That writing those characters was, it was just like following a truth, which might sound very holistic and kind of witchy, but like, that's really what it was. It was like, these characters are so iconic and fundamental. And it really is, again, I know we, we say this a lot, but like credit Brubaker for taking Bucky Barnes and finding a way to like, make him into this character who is simultaneously Bucky Barnes and also this entire other level of like moral complexity and trauma that in being Steve Rogers' best friend brings out such interesting stuff in him, right? So what we got to do is just mine that vein and really look at like what happens when you when you hurt that relationship and when you bring it back together. And I think you just end up with some really beautiful moments there at the end. I'm so thankful that we got Roger's funeral. I'm so sad Roger had to die. I don't, I, I, I love... I love Roger Aubrey so much and I love the Sharon Carter plot. And I, I'm, I'm, there was no other ending for that character. It had to happen the way it did. Um, it, it was, again, it was sort of like following a truth. You just, it, nothing else feels like, like it would land the moment and you get there and you, and you get there with the character and he feels like he's on a, his last ride. And these characters feel like they need to have this conversation and it all comes together into this like really lovely moment. And then Carmen Carnero draws it. That's the magic trick. It's that's <laughs> genuinely the magic trick. I did we write the did we write the ever loving shit out of that? Yes, we we really worked to grind that script into the best possible version that we could produce, and then we deleted ninety percent of it and handed it to Carmen and just let her draw. And Actually, true. We pulled a lot of dialogue out of that script um, because when you have a talent like that, when she fundamentally understands the kind of the the impact that just a look can bring to the table you get out of the fucking way yeah i almost had a feel um because there was a lot of panels there with no dialogue right until bucky says he's sorry i yeah. it almost had a feel of uh 
DeMatteis and Giffen letting Kevin McGuire do his facial expressions, you know, in Justice League, you know, it's just get out of the way, let the artist do that. I think we really owe DeMatteis and Giffen a, a huge, um, I mean, obviously our careers owe them a huge uh, debt of gratitude. We've we've worked on characters, both have had iconic runs on it. It's, it's really like both are icons to us. Um, they're just funnier than us. <laughs> <laughs> I just my, my thing is always like oh I know they're working it's like oh I don't really see us in them because they're so funny and we aren't <laughs> but I uh, we're funny looking yeah, yeah exactly uh, uh, and, and also before we'll, we'll send you the uh, the director's cut we'll send you V1 of that script and you'll no, be like won't. my goodness no, we won't we won't, uh, we won't. but uh, you, you just teased some very juicy monologues uh, that just weren't needed yeah, and that's, um, as a writer, that's the best feeling. Uh, wrote wrote that issue uh, in a really like wild week of our lives, and and uh, that was that was the week my house burned down. Um, was oh my what? So that funeral ended up. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a house fire and my house burned down. Um, I was at Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, so anybody who's at Emerald City probably knows this. Uh, and then I came home a, a few days later, and and the house had been. Um, you know, Colin was in L.A. being incredible and helping my wife deal with this you know chaos and i came back and the next week the first script that was due was 750 um and it was like a very uh you know we, we've said like we split up the work and we kind of like colin wrote the entire first side of the bucky side and i wrote the funeral and then we wrote each other and ultimately i look back at that and it's like that scene was a very like personal bit of like the, the the funeral scene was like a really personal bit of writing trying to like get at losing something and not really having control over losing it like not wanting to lose it but losing it anyway and and what that was like um that sort of immediacy of grief that i was going through at the time and then i got the enormous personal gratitude of getting to see the best bucky steve conversation of the book all coming through through colin which i would have been completely incapable of even touching at that point in time like i think that 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 issue is actually a really good demonstration of how the hive mind works like it's how we work it's like i kind of needed to write a funeral and colin kind of needed to write the end of this for like the, the re-beginning of this friendship and we brought those two things to the table and and turned it into an issue of comics um and that's not really necessarily something a single writer uh can can do in the same way so it was a it was a trip um that issue but it was a it was a wonderful thing to do i'm very thankful that marvel let us do it well first of all thank you for giving us a little inside information on on uh on the story behind that and yeah. but but my goodness you your house burned down that uh you know <laughs> i i can't i don't i don't i don't want to just gloss over that that's uh that's devastating it was we're okay we're okay everything that's important is okay we have a new house we're very happy it's okay okay like, there but but readers, um, readers in history will look back upon our Guardians of the Galaxy run and yeah. realize that that entire 11 issues is in a lot of way Jackson processing the fact that uh, a lot of his life went up in smoke and a fire. And that is the refrain of our entire galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy run. Completely opposite. We started, or uh, unintentionally, we started yeah. that before fire, um, but... What are the guardians if not a fire is kind of and a fire only you know only ends one way is the refrain of that book. Um, there so... was a fire and the fire only ends one way. And then about two months later, my house burned down. And it was it was very it was very like it was like great comics is a place where 
that's going to have to get processed and it and, and because our work ultimately is personal and we try to, to put ourselves into it. So I think part of that became about that. Now the guardians have dealt with that in their own way. Talking about breaking pieces and putting them back together again. Um, so it was a crazy time, but we're really happy to, to be on the other side of it. And, um, you know, my wife is happy. I'm happy. Our cat is thrilled. She has more places to run. Like <laughs> everything's fine. Oh my goodness. So I, uh, I I really enjoyed the letter that you wrote to the readers at the end of the finale. It was a bit of a passing in the baton. And, you know, we've we've covered a few similar letters over the years, over the decades from from previous writers. And those are, uh, you know, not to not to you know build it up too much, but those are studied, you know, by subsequent generations of readers. Right. I mean, the subject of books in some cases. So. Um, but you basically in the letter you you challenged um, the readers to um, to carry out Steve lessons you know the lessons that that they learned from Steve to forgive loved ones to uh, to stand up for oppression at the end of the day is that is that your hope as writers um, for the lessons of people to take away from your writing and did writing Steve Rogers make it easier or harder for you to follow Steve's lessons oh what a great question um because I think we've said this before, and it is so weirdly true. In a lot of ways, I think writing Steve Rogers made us better people, um, which is the, it's the, it's, you can't write, you can't write Steve authentically unless you understand Steve, right? The character is too important for you to half-ass. Um, so in order to get inside his head, you really need to start putting yourself in this unique place of the right thing which is such a weird amorphous concept, except Steve Rogers always knows what it is. And I think that was the thing that we were thinking of. It's like, be like Steve, be like Captain America, of course, but no, be like Steve Rogers, because he has a moral center to himself that not only uplifts himself, but uplifts all the people around him. I think the thing about Steve Rogers, as it, it, uh, he's the first, and maybe to this point only time, we've written a superhero that I am not cynical about. I don't think there's, I think it's very easy to be cynical about Batman. And if people want to know about that, they can read Outsiders. Um, if I think, it's, I think it's really easy to be cynical about Iron Man. In fact, he's built on cynicism. Obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy are, are fundamentally cynical. They're all like, and, and in a goopy way, like in a gushy, heartfelt way, there are a bunch of characters who come from like these like crazy criminal circumstances who and 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 traumatized circumstances who are turning around and trying to be heroes. So they have kind of this like screw up thing. Thunderbolt's the same way. Steve Rogers, like I would be happy if he existed. I would want him to be in the real world. I would want there to be. I I, I want people to be more like Steve Rogers. I in 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 my life, which is what superheroes are. I I want to be more like that in my life. Like Steve's one of those characters. There's a few of them. Peter Parker's I think the same way. Who are and and Thor actually in a lot of ways because um, gods were this in a lot of ways. Like the like Norse gods and and, and earlier gods did the same thing. They're patterns of behavior. They're ways of saying like, here's the kind of person you can be if you are this way. And Steve is like, what if you were righteous? What if you stood up to every oppressor you saw? What if you could tell the difference between somebody who was lying to you and somebody who was telling the truth and you could always side on the side of truth? Like Steve is, his superpower goes really deep as composite. It's like being right. 
And I think I've come through that process. But I don't know, wanting there to be more of that in the world. So when we got done, when we got to writing that, that letter, which I mean, was such an honor to do in the first place. Like, I think we had to say directly to the readers, like the reason this is why it, I mean, it's podcasts like this. It's that what would Cap do coin that you, it's, it's the fandom that's out there. Like that was us thanking them because they, I don't think I need to tell them to act more like Steve Rogers or challenge them to do that. They already do that. I'm just throwing down the challenge coin you guys challenged, gave to us, right? Like I'm, I think that's all we're trying to do is remind the reader that of the same thing that we always experience when we re read Steve's books, which is a reminder that we can be better that we can stand up for the weak, that we can stand up for truth, that we can be righteous, and that we can do it without oppressing other people. And we can do it without stepping on bodies. We can do it, like, with our souls, which Steve somehow does. It's not about the shield, right? It's about the guy. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, very well put. As soon as you said that, uh, they're like, aren't they like our modern gods? Somewhere Grant Morrison's ears twitched and he's about to come crashing into your your hotel. Like, <laughs> Please, Please, you're welcome. Uh, so many God, anytime. Well, Colin, you're right. I mean, uh, you, you said that writing Steve Rogers, you know, helped help make you a better person. I, I think, you know, reading good Steve Rogers writing makes us all better people, which is why we, we do the show, why we do the podcast podcast, why so many people read the book because the, and, and why, and why we appreciated your run. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Help make us better people. So the, the last time you're we're all in this together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the last time you were here, we were talking about the uh, plant yourself like a tree quote. Hmm. And, and you both mentioned how you're, you're, big fan of JMS and, and Jackson, you, you said Babylon five changed your world. I think you said, I love that um, one. uh, does, does JMS taking over the character, take the sting away? Just, just a little. Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. We were very, we were obviously, you know, we, you can, it's fine to admit that we were a little salty, right? We no, were curious. No. We were curious who was taking over. And we were curious. And then a, a couple of weeks later, a lot of slipped us the fact that JMS was taking over. And it's like, my God, you know what, my guys, if you're going to lose a job, fucking lose to the best, right? I, like, I, it was, it was kind of cool. I, I told my mom and she got excited. <laughs> I told my mom, I, <laughs> well, those are, well yeah, I lost my job. On the other hand, J. Marcus Rosinski got my job. And <laughs> she was like, oh my God, you, you got him before JMS? It was very exciting. I mean, and so I, I think we don't need to gush about his talent. I think Rising Stars is one of the seminal Burks. Burks. Um, I can edit Burks. that. I can edit that out. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's just a real great Burke. Um, <laughs> but like all of his work is just in intensely human and like empathetic. And yes, action-packed, but also just so genuine and um, like cannot, if honestly, if if we could become his Padawans, we would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of writers who have had a lot of influence on us, but like he's one of the tops. He's He's been, he's been there pretty much my whole life. Like I, I was watching and reading JMS stuff very young and I, I really, which you know ages me but whatever uh i really like love the sense of of like long mythology and world building and clockwork that he brings to his work and i think we try to do the same thing where we can in a very different way 
Um, so yeah. Well, have you have you guys say, one of the few people where you could write you could send me that email and be like, oh, I'm going to read that run, <laughs> and I and well, I have. Uh... I, I really like it. So it's like, oh, well, I was going to ask you, have you read the new series at all? Because is there a little bit of pride in seeing some of what you set up that JMS is continuing, like like living in his childhood home and stuff like that? Yep. It's super cool. <laughs> it's it's honestly a little surreal. Um, It's very cool. I'm glad to see it happening. I think he's dealing with a lot of similar contexts um, as he breaks out this as Asmodeus arc uh, and how... He's building up the emissary. I think all of this is like, it feels very much in a vein with the kind of stories we felt like you needed to tell with the outer circle. So like, I'm psyched to see it because I think he's he's on a similar a similar wavelength with an extremely different flavor, right? I think the 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 uh, demons are always an interesting thing to throw at at Steve Rogers. So I'm, I'm excited to see what all of that looks like. That's a that's corruptibility as we've all been talking about, and like being a good person is such a core part of his um, mythos. I'm excited to see what um, JMS does with it. I think it's a I think it's a great kernel to start from, and obviously he's a legend, so I'm sure he'll be fantastic. Well, that uh, that leads us to a question from one of our our patrons, Grant Baugh, uh wants to know what is something from your Sentinel of Liberty run that you would love to see revisited and expanded upon by a future creative team. So I think Jackson mentioned this previously. Once you put something into the Marvel universe it's out there for other writers to use. So is there something that you're hoping will get explored by somebody else? Yeah, uh, Agboje. Dr. Agboje is there in the canon now for anybody who wants to use him um, in the like within the past. Um, we know that he is dead, or at least that he appears to have died, but he all, we also know that he seems to have had several families and like been all around and had a lot of secret lives and had to live totally off the grid after escaping his mother, the machine, um, and after having um, sort of leaked the outer circle. I think he's a really interesting character. He knows how to shape um, uh, vibranium in a very specific way. Um, I don't know how you would use him, right? He's not for us. I, this is like, I'd, I'd see somebody else figure out if there's some use for that guy. Um, but I think he's an interesting character and he's there up until the modern Marvel universe. So he, he can sort of plug into just about anywhere at any age. Um, so he feels like maybe a fun thing to thread up. Um, How about you, Colin? I mean, um, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that it would be very, very cool. I'd love to see like a return to the outer circle. I'd love to see uh, if someone's doing some period stories, I'd love to see how they might pop off. But in terms of the one thing that we left on the table that someone else has to use, otherwise we are 100% going to find a way to use it, is Leopold Zola, King of the Monsters. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. we have left this actualized son of Steve Rogers in the heart of a collapsing mutant dimension with absolute control of that reality. He has a heart of gold and a fist of iron. Like, come on, someone needs to pick this up. We've left, he's tailor-made to be someone's iconic villain or a twisted new kind of anti-hero. Who knows, but he's way too cool. Um, to not touch. So someone's got to sweep in there and and absolutely go crazy. You you, you just sound like an '80s sitcom. He's he's got a heart of gold, but a fist <laughs> of iron. I I, I easily coming laugh. soon to NBC. That's uh, oh. honestly that's how we pitch. No, it, it, it's a uh, it really I think is a he's one of those characters that like we had planned on uh we'd planned on spending more time doing. So given where how it, how it sort of happens out of Cold War, 
he's now this thing that is sitting there and we don't have, like, he's not going to show up in Thunderbolts. We're, we're not touching him for now. Um, and maybe we'll be the guys to do it because it is a really, it's an idea we like and a thing that we wanted to play more with. Um, but I'd love to see Steve have to deal with it at some point again. Cause I do think that it's a, it's it, the person who Ian has, or Leopold, however you want to talk about it, has connection with is Steve. And that's the only way that that story is really going to work unless he's fighting Namor. In which case, bring it on. I want four issues of him fighting Namor. I think uh -oh. that's really rad. Uh-oh. Plus, his, he has his howling commandos. He, he has does. an army of oh. cap wolves. Which I, he's where you get to go for all of your goofy cap monster shenanigans. It's all, it's all the stuff that I'm actually not a huge fan of that Colin kind of got me on page with, and certainly Tochi did too. Um, it's like, I've, I've never been a huge Cap Wolf fan. Like, I, 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 just as an idea, it's not my favorite thing. I cannot say that it's a good idea, but it does rip. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it is cool yeah. as hell. Yeah. Um, so getting to play with that has been fun, and I would love to do it again. All right, let's... Honestly, our answer would be the Destroyer, except we get to use her in Thunderbolts, exactly. which is incredible. Exactly. Well, the let's talk about Thunderbolts, all right? So yeah. where did the idea to revisit the series come from? Was this, was that something that you two pitched to Alana, or did, did she pitch to you? She pitched it to us. Uh, I think we said we would love to keep going with Bucky. Is there a way? And she said Thunderbolts. Excellent. I think it was, think it was yep. as simple as that. Question and answered. All right. So one of the things you, you mentioned when we first met, uh, was to when you were discussing Sentinel Liberty was you purposely didn't want to do a Red Skull story the first year, but eventually wanted to to get to him because, you know, what cap writer doesn't want to have a Red Skull story, right? So we're very excited. You finally get to tell it. Um, but right there on the cover of Thunderbolts 1, we see a dead Red Skull by the hands of Bucky with the blurb that says the Red Skull must die. But then there's that last page and knowing the hive mind the way we do, is it safe to say there's a lot more to come to this Red Skull story that you've been planning a while? Yes. Uh, I think, well, so you have, you, there's four issues of Thunderbolts um, to, to come. And I think that's what that page is the promise of the rest of the series that, and I think Bucky goes into this eyes wide open, right? Bucky is assembling the Thunderbolts with the remnants of the Outer Circle at his fingertips in order to do the kind of work that he feels like needed to have been done over that century and wasn't done because the Outer Circle was playing a game and not saving people and helping people live um, without the threat of genocide and supervillainy over them at all times. Bucky's done screwing around. He very specifically has learned that he doesn't have Steve's morals and that that's okay. That makes him a different man, but it doesn't make him a lesser man. And now he's going to go do something about it. And it really felt important that we made a statement in that first issue that he wasn't, that what that these weren't empty promises, that, that we were going to take something off the board. So I do want to make sure that people are clear based on that last page um, that Alexander Lucan is dead. Like, the Alexander Lucan Red Skull is dead. Spoiler alert for Thunderbolts number one. Uh, that does not mean the end of the Red Skull any more than the end of any of the other individual echoes of the Red Skull has been the end of the Red Skull. What Bucky is doing, 
is looking at that with eyes wide open with a century of knowledge about this and saying, oh, when you kill the Red Skull, the Red Skull's resurrection procedures initiate. And when those happen, and they're always different, and they happen at different time scales, and you never know what it's going to be, but there's always some new Red Skull that's ready to come out of the woodwork because like Hydra, when you kill one, another one takes its place. So we have to go find that. But rather than letting it be a thing that passively happens, he's turning the Thunderbolts on it. And he's saying, in issue one, we're going to kill the Red Skull. And then from issues two through four, we're going to make sure the Red Skull stays dead. <laughs> and uh, as readers will have already learned in uh, at the end of issue one, he might be a little late for that. So we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that frames out uh, over the course yeah. of the rest of the issues. But that is the promise for Thunderbolts, not necessarily for anything beyond Thunderbolts. But uh, yeah, can't can't kill a weed unless you pull it up by the roots. And we've been they've been they've been chopping the top off the Red Skull for too long, and it's time to really get down in the dirt and pull those goddamn roots up. Um, nice. That was also, yeah. that was the thing that we really when we yeah. did pitch on this project, um, it was important for us to give a very different flavor than what we just did in, in in Cap. What we wanted to do was hit the ground running. We wanted to do a high octane Jason Bourne esque. Um, you know, you start every issue at high speed and you do not slow down um, kind of storytelling. We want to give you a lot of comic in your comic um, while still finding that emotional core to it. So the uh, Thunderbolts is probably going to make you cry a little less, but it will make you shout, hell yeah, ideally multiple times every issue. I think you'll be surprised how easily I cry, Colin. Bless <laughs> you. Bless I take you. that as a yeah. challenge. So. Yes. And 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 you'd be surprised how many times I say hell yeah every time I see him cry. <laughs> that right there is a healthy relationship. Yeah. yeah right. Every yes. time Jack cries, I just I'm so happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. I'm going to put a pause. I'm I'm not. I'm going to edit this part out. Did I hear you right, uh, Jackson? Did you say that this is there's only four more issues. There's only three more issues. Thunderbolts is a mini series. I thought it was an ongoing. Oh, okay. So All right. No. So, so no, and you don't need to cut this out. This is actually, I, I think this is really important to talk about because um, I don't think it was super clear, but it's how Marvel works now. And it's not, I, I like, I'm not saying this is a complaint. I'm, I'm, this is a, this is just the ecosystem as it's operating right now. Is it when you are, working on these books you are making you are making a certain number of issues that they have already done the math on and know that they can sell and know that that, that are going to work and that they feel comfortable taking to market their sales department has done a whole lot of math on that to figure that out and every book starts that way there is no such thing as an ongoing book like there, there really aren't. There are certain ones that have the indication of ongoing because maybe you can, your book is selling very, very well, so of course you're ongoing, or you are a a flagship title that they want to make sure they keep continuing going on the regular, like X Men or Avengers or something like that. But other series, most smaller series right now, have to justify themselves through sales before they get an ongoing series. Because an ongoing is an open-ended promise by the company that financially can't necessarily support that anymore. And so I think that's, I, I don't know, these decisions happen way above our pay grade. So all I try to do is like look at it and say, what are what's the order and what can we write for the order? So here's the thing about Thunderbolts. Is Thunderbolts an ongoing series? No, but it could be in a heartbeat. 
if they really like how issue one sells, if they really like how issue two sells, and they come back and they say, hey, let's keep this going. Great. We know exactly what happens. Probably the ending of issue four changes a little bit. We have a swap in scene so that we have our frame out into the next arc. But as it stands right now, we were told, hey, you should just think of this as a mini. Um, you know, we, we think we're going to do four and then maybe we'll get more down the line. But that may not happen right away. We don't know. And, and, that think... before, and that was before we got sales numbers. That was just because of the way that the industry is trending and the way that Marvel's making decisions and the way everybody's making decisions right now. Um, so we're, I, it sounds like mitigating, I guess, but I, I really do mean it. Like we're very happy for the comic we get to tell and the clarity of knowing, Hey, you get four issues. Great. We'll make four great issues and we'll and really think, try to make those worth the readers like time. And I think that's the key also. Like, I think readers are all, every time you see an ongoing that gets canceled as a reader and you're enjoying it, you get incredibly frustrated. Right? You're like, I was just falling in love with this. How dare they cancel it? And that feels shitty for everyone involved. Um, so the opportunity be, to be able to come in and know how much story we're telling and to really tune it so that we can give the reader the actual experience that we are intending on, um, I think is just overall going to feel so much better than suddenly having the rug pulled out from under you. Um, so I, I am honestly pretty happy that we know what this is gonna be. And I think the cool thing is as the market, now we're talking markets, right? Like, but whatever. Um, as the market kind of grows and evolves into whatever this next 2024 is gonna start to bring for it. I think what we might start seeing is like, maybe this won't be, you know, maybe this isn't an ongoing, but the opportunity for another four issue miniseries, very high. Mm -hmm. I think they can green light four issue miniseries in a way that they could never green light an ongoing. Um, so hopefully what we're going to start seeing is more bespoke, you know, punchier kind of mini movies rather than kind of ongoing TV shows that are supposed to run for seven years. Right. So hopefully we'll see that kind of flex. Um, I have a lot of hope for the model as it evolves, um, but perhaps messaging could be a little better on their end. I, I, mm -hmm. I think, I, I think the, um, I think that there's room for both. I hope there's room for both. And I hope that both can continue to do their work. You know, I, I think like, I think both have their reasons for being. I'm not sure Thunderbolts needs to be ongoing. We'll see. This story, especially that like, and we always pitched it as a four issue. We never came in and said, okay, here's our, our Thunderbolts ongoing. And they said, oh, no, 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 you only get four issues. No, we came in with a thing called Thunderbolts World Strike. This is sort of the subtitle of the whole book. And World Strike is a, single op against the red skull told in four parts we're gonna so see. you have in mind already a beginning middle and end yep. boom yep. got it okay well that and, and there you go that'll that'll be very satisfying to 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 the readers you know i i was just curious because you know you you don't see a lot we, of course we've seen cap and the howling commandos that miniseries recently we just recently you know reviewed this um uh teen yep. You know, awesome, yeah. awesome book, right? So we do see Nazis in books, but we don't see a lot of modern titles in contemporary times with Nazis. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, um, if that was like a conscious, uh, other than its association with the Red Skull. I mean, Red Skull could just as easily have, have his own organization without Nazi symbology. And so I, I wondered, like, it's 80 years after World War II, young readers, is it culturally relevant to them? Is there, was there a specific reason to like, go all in with like absolute those are nazis like in modern times nazis uh i so 
I think there's two answers to this question um, that are simultaneous and they're, they're both true. On the one side, I think we were being honest to the Marvel Universe. Yeah, we could give Red Skull his own organization, but the Red Skull is a Nazi. Every time that he has been effective as a villain is because they have shown the evil that exists inside of him. He is the he is one of the few Marvel villains of all of these like terrible people that exist. He's one of the few who actually like relishes genocide. He's just like a bad, bad person with extremely terrible politics. And it really does feel like that's like iconic to him. So mm. in doing Red Skull, it felt important not to pull that punch and to be like, no, like he is an echo of this particular political movement mm. that is stain on our species and is a thing that we continue to struggle with today. So yes, I think it's still relevant. Yes, I think kids still have to deal with Nazis. Certainly they have to deal with right-wingers in their like hardcore right-wing mm -hmm. uh, fascists in their daily lives. Like it is a part of the American cultural conversation now in a way that it's hard to imagine it have been, you know, 30, 40 years ago. They've, even 10 years ago, mm. there's, been a, there's been a sense that you are able to unmask as a white supremacist now in this country um, that felt, like the Red Skull is just such a, a symbol of that, a symbol of that unabashed delight in hatred. And I just, um, it's one of the only things I hate. So it was like, hey, we can't, we can't turn our back on that. We can't not do that. So I think simultaneously, it's like, yeah. just be honest to the character. That's how you had to write it. And on the flip side of it, we relished the opportunity to do an action book where we didn't pull as many punches as we possibly could. And the people that we would be least likely to pull our punches against are Nazis. So we <laughs> And Colin and I write the most unabashed action. I have a bat of pure neganite. You have what? Super pure blood. I showed you mine. Now you show me yours. Yeah, that was good. You can't <laughs> write that anybody except for Nazis. It was an awesome line. Like yeah. they give you a. It, they are they are so specifically sure of themselves, and they are so specifically um, on the wrong side of history, and 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 almost. Um, uh, like defiantly so that I feel like it felt right. Um, and it let us embrace Sharon in the mm -hmm. book, which was a huge priority for us as well, because we are now in love with writing her. She's really, really fun. And uh, it, it felt like a great opportunity to be like, this is why she got into this. She got into this to bust up fascists for the yeah. memory of this legacy. So let's, let's play it, you know, and let's let her do it and let's see her at the top of her power. What I will say, though, is even as we were writing the script, we got to a page where it's like, and the, you know, the, the swastika hangs from the wall. And we stopped and be yeah. like, fucking really? Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, as artists, you have a choice of what you present, right? If you're writing a fantasy mm -hmm. series, it doesn't need to have racism in it, right? If you put racism in your fantasy series, that's your choice, not your, not an assumption of the, of the genre. So we had to be like, well, do we need this? And is it even something we kind of want to platform? Because it honestly felt strange. And we talked with, mm. um, you know, uh, we we talked with um, editorial and art and we kind of went back and forth on this. And Geraldo, Geraldo brought it up straight out of the script. He was like, I'm actually surprised how much Nazi symbology is in this, mm. given what you're doing. Mm -hmm. and I was like, is that a problem for you? He was like, no, I, I wish we didn't still have to do this is all. Mm. I was right. like, I agree. <laughs> and that was the conversation. It was like, does this feel weird? Um, by just the fact that we see it so little, like, yes. And because we see it so little was almost the exact reason we needed to put it in there. Um, you got to shine on a, li a light on it so that you can burn it down. Yeah. That's an so excellent point. Hide in the dark.
Now, now to be fair, that's also, I want to be clear, a flavor of issue one. Mm -hmm. yes. Every issue of Thunderbolts is designed as an as its own experience. So Thunderbolts number one is assassination at Castle Red Skull with Destroyer uh, and Red Guardian uh, and Val and Bucky. Val and Bucky are always in it. Issue two is a uh, is a heist. It's like an Ocean's Eleven style heist at the Hellfire Gala against Kingpin with Black and White Widow and Val and Bucky. Okay, can't issue, wait for that. Issue yeah. three, incredible! It's so cool. <laughs> uh, issue three is like a John Woo movie uh, in Hong Kong with. U.S. agent and Shang-Chi and American Kaiju. And that's going to be insane. That one is being drawn now, and I, I I think it's my favorite issue. It's it's so cool. It's such a trip. Um, And then issue four, I don't want to spoil yet. But Secrets. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a proper out there if you want to know who they're fighting in four. But uh, each of them have a different set of characters that Bucky is bringing in as these bespoke teams. Mm -hmm. So it also lets us turn up the the gas on each character. So it's like, oh, is Sharon going to get, we're going to get more out of Sharon if she's fighting Nazis. She's in the Nazi issue. We're maybe going to get more out of Black and White Widow in a heist than we are in a different scenario. So let's really lean into them. We're going to get more out of um, U.S. agent, especially uh, in this particular sequence uh, in, in Hong Kong. He's going to be really key to what we're doing. How do we make sure that he feels... Um, supported and serviced and and that's how Shang-Chi ends up in that story and like it's a lot of um yeah because John Walker in 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 Hong Kong sounds natural <laughs> totally, normal place, totally normal place for him to be yeah I've uh, been there many times Rick and Johnny Walker is very popular there you know what uh nothing says nothing says American interventionalism like a uh, U.S. agent in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, just circling back around, circling around to the Nazis of it all. Woof! What is that? <laughs> um, it was also really interesting in our second issue um, when we do go to this fancy party, which is, as we've said, this is all a story. It's all connected to the Red Skull in some ways. Um, we got to do a really interesting thing where it was have um, a lot of the characters who are in Kingpin's orbit comment on things like we may be bad guys but we're not fucking nazis right <laughs> which is important like his yeah. politics his 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 d d totalitarianism mm, chef kiss absolutely peak his politics reprehensible yeah. and that's a really important thing to kind of you know it's it's the, the kingpin can appreciate the red skull's money while saying that his eugenics policies were absolute hot trash um, yeah. which is just Did, didn't didn't the joker do that in the batman captain america right. one shot yeah. by john byrne yep right and he says you know yep. I, i'm not a nazi literally <laughs> like he literally joker literally manages to like like one up the red skull which is yeah. fantastic um well, I have to get back to what you were saying about uh, the fact that you you did choose to have the swastika yeah right and even even, you know, uh, Geraldo had said, whoa, <laughs> you know, uh, because because decades, decades of of the Red Skull, um, the swastika was taken out. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I, I have some recent examples. So I was really fortunate 
to get, you remember Marvel uh, official handbook of the Marvel universe, right? Again, I'm a big Mike Zek fan. So I was able to get, get his uh, red skull that he oh, did. Yeah. Now, if you notice, he's got a swastika here. When they published it in the official handbook of Marvel universe, it wasn't there. Yep. Um, same thing with, uh, I was able to get this uh, Joe Casada had done this, version and they end up doing fear itself this end up being on the cover of fear itself and they mm -hmm. they took out all of this nazi stuff and they made it into um uh hydra yep. and so i'm surprised you know based on the history there that they they were able to like oh yeah you want you want a swastika you want nazis sure go for it i uh it was never even a it was never even a question genuinely yeah. I, I, genuinely we're surprised as you were yep um, I, I think the only the only place where it was a conversation was with Geraldo, and I and and Alana said the same thing we did, which was like it's important not to hide from this. We all we all feel like it's important not to hide from mm. this. In the same way that I I think Joe Casada and John Byrne believe it's important not to hide from this. Like I I don't think I'm not going to pass judgment on whoever's cutting it out of the stories. I also understand the counter argument. I, I really do of not constantly subjecting your readership to swastikas. I, I actually fully agree with that. Um, we're only doing it for one issue. Yeah, if it was more than one, that's a great point, Jack. If this was more than one issue, if this entire thing was, they go back in time and they're a Nazi, or not even back in time, right? We're slathering this thing with Nazi symbolism. Like, fuck no, man. Like, it's actually what the very first version of this was. That that The very first conversation we had about, about World Strike were that. And then we had to step back and we were like, are we... We just filling this book with Nazis. Can we back this off a little bit? And it like, mm. turned into a more sophisticated book, I think, as a result. Because um, yeah, man, I I feel similarly. Like we wouldn't have wanted to do that. The the, the symbol is stomach turning, um, and it only yeah. exists. It only functions because we see it one or two times, and then we burn it the fuck down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 uh that splash, that silent splash at the end of the book is doing a lot of work for that. But it's 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 there for a reason. It's the only splash like that in the book. For oh, yeah, this is where the, all of the characters are walking away from the exploding building, you know, it behind them. Oh, yeah, yes. it's classic. It uh, is. It's a classic supervillain thing, but also you can, like, specifically see it's Nazi shit that's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we actually, last issue, we covered Thunderbolts number one, panel by panel. Oh, wow. um, and uh, we, we, we did that, you know, and we only do the first issue because we want to give people a teaser. So, like, hey, you want more? Go pick it up at your local comic book shop. Um, so if you haven't read it yet, there's a slight spoiler ahead. Um, there's a big revelation about Valentina Allegra de Fontaine in yeah. this issue. In fact, it catches Bucky and Sharon by surprise, where even Bucky admits he didn't know. Yeah, since um, since first appearing in Strange Tales 159 back in 1967, Val has been involved in some of the most entertaining story arcs, right? She's been Madame Hydra, at least impersonating her for a while, leading the Leviathan army. She was director of shield, uh, director of shield for a while. And then we saw her turn herself in, I think it was secret warriors number 27. And she ended up getting jailed in some gulag, presumably in Russia. And Nick Fury in, in issue 28 was on his way to rescue her. And then we hear something entirely different <laughs> in issue one. And so I, I got to think, wow, that was unforeseen. Uh, and she's one of my favorite, if not my favorite comic book, babe. And you turned her into a robot. <laughs> we made a robot out of her. 
which is different than turning her into a robot. Oh. Uh, for, for, for the pure fact that her body is still out there, and the, while we say that she died in a Russian gulag, I think it's important to recognize that that information is coming from the source that is an LMD wearing her face uh, who's currently involved in a very clandestine assassination attempt, right? I do think it's important to recognize that whatever we know about the Contessa Allegra de, uh, Valentino Allegra de Fontaine, we only know what she wants us to know or what has been compartmentalized for us to know. Yeah. So oh, Nick Fury. So we'll see about that. Or Nick Fury, right? So we'll see how that plays out. We aren't trying to take Val off the table permanently. What we want to do is make a little room to use this version we want to play with. We we sort of had an idea for a Val that didn't have to reckon with as much of the villainous past so that we could throw her into something a little more fun and a little more, um, that had a little bit more life to it. Because I, I just think that character is weighted down by a lot of that. And yeah. we thought that'd be really dishonest to do with the character as she exists. So instead, let's create this new version of her who's reflective of like her having gone to ground. And then we'll see what comes out of that character. We'll see if there's room for Val somewhere. Because what I what, but what I, but we I, can say though is like hopefully that question then becomes in which of those stories is she herself and in which is she an LMD. Oh well you 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 succeeded. You got our interest. Yeah. Uh you know uh you got our attention and definitely want to learn more. There were some tears involved. And also, <laughs> again, <laughs> I hope you hydrate, my guy. You seem to have a <laughs> uh, But I mean, also, uh, in in all behind the scenes, like her store backstory is kind of bug nuts cuckoo. Um, she's been yeah. used in a lot of places without much care or concern for where she's been or where she's going. Um, so that's kind of also our service of like, well, she is far more complex. She knows that that backstory, some of it doesn't track and some of it doesn't make sense. And now the question is, how much of a shell game is she playing? Um, and where else might she be? And who else might she might she be? Um, so we we love the character. We are excited to perhaps play more with her. Um, and like all things with us, uh, once we make a toy, we love to return to the toy. Um, so, you know, we'll see what's on the next horizon. We do have a few extra questions from many of our listeners. So the first one is from Ash Barnes. She asked, hey, which, <laughs> which, there you go, Ash is a big, big fan. Which character on the team were you most looking forward to getting to write and why? And she wants you to mention Bucky Barnes. Of course. <laughs> Look, to be, to be clear, always Bucky. Yeah. Um, I was really excited to write John Walker. Uh, I've always wanted to write John Walker. He's such a unique flavor for the Marvel Universe. You don't have a lot of guys like him, but he represents a lot of guys I've known and a lot of um, a lot of just like simultaneous thuggery and bravery. And I think that barrier between the two is so interesting because it's also the barrier of being a good and bad person. And so I, I, th I think John's like on that blade edge more than almost any other hero. I really like that about him. Um, so yeah, I was really, also I played him in a live tabletop role-playing game uh, during <laughs> pandemic. If anybody seeks out, uh, there was a there was a Marvel Universe um, one shot, one shot. We did like four of them uh, where I played US agent and I played him like 
as kind of as like comedic as I could. So I felt like getting a chance to write him and not taking the piss out of him the whole time, but rather really treating the character seriously would also be nice and would be a, be my apology to John for that. Um, so I was excited. And, and it should be said that I was making, you know, a goof earlier of like this high octane, no tears involved. John Walker might make you cry. We've got a beat in issue three that is kind of beautiful and comes out of left field. And it's like, even the most, even not that John is a meathead, but like, even the most meat-headed of us can find a moment of beauty and genuine human connection. And I think that is one of the keys of, especially when you, in order to understand people who might have that mm, much more bullish perspective than you, at their core, we are all humans. We are all looking for emotional connection with people who care about us. And it's really easy to forget that, especially in superhero comics. Um, but finding that human moment for John even when connected to such a monster as American Kaiju um, was really beautiful. Um, my answer, and this is a surprise me, uh, Natasha. Obviously mm. we've Natasha before, but this time it has the added juice, which we did not expect going in, of her having the symbiote. Um, they reached out to us after we'd already written the issue actually and said, hey, by the way, uh, Natasha Romanoff is currently in possession of the Venom suit um, or a Venom. Uh, do you want to use that? You don't have to, but if you'd like to, and we kind of saw the design and said, hell yeah, man. Um, and it gives her an absolute, uh, a different flavor than we saw from her in say in, in Sentinel and in Cold War. It lets her be a little different. It gives her a little bit more of an edge. It gives her this cool new power set. Um, and uh, it was just a real delight to be able to kind of bring her to life. Um, I love writing her. And her her uh, dichotomy between her and White Widow is like enhanced so much more now that their skill sets and approaches are so different because of the suit. It's been really nice to see. Very cool. All right. Uh, I have to go back to your playing John Walker on the tabletop. All right, Jackson, let's let's hear the Southern draw. No, 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 I'm not. I can't. I, I didn't even do it in the I didn't even do it in the game. I did like. um I don't do accents. Uh, I think I did like, I don't know. I think I did them down here. I think I just kind of talked. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like I imagine uh, Sam. Oh, what's the cowboy actor? Sam Elliott. Oh, Sam, Sam Elliott. Yeah. Well, you're I rocking kinda, the stash. I kind of yeah. do Sam Elliott. Uh, yeah. The yeah. Stash. Um, yeah. But that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was mostly. I, I was mostly just making stupid jokes. It was not a good time. I mean, it was a great time, but it was like not a good time for John. I, I felt bad about that. Uh, I'm I'm waiting for Bob to mention talking talking about guys who can't do accents. You should hear Rick. Rick does an amazing British woman. <laughs> oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I see what I'm we're, getting we're, to do at a comic con. <laughs> we're, we're moving along. <laughs> All right, uh, patron Andrew Meyer asks. The comic medium definitely has allowed the subject matter a greater canvas to work with rather than the confines of mainstream video and productions. And this got, kind of gets back, I think, Colin, to what you had said originally about, you know, when you were, you know, uh, studying to 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 be, you know, in, in film and, and so on. It definitely allows the writers the ability to take characters and teams to different places in a manner not given in cinema. 
That said, do you feel that the Thunderbolts is allowing you as writers to portray the feelings that reflect the modern times? The need for results, answers, retribution, without the confines of law and gentleness that can be perceived as being stifled in modern day society. And then he goes on to say, people want to see justice and order, but they are disheartened with the way things are today. And without a cap to rise above and show them the light, they tend to fall to anti-heroes. Uh, so that is a really astute reading. Um, I'm not a big fan of commenting on our absolute intention in things, because I don't think we always have, truthfully, intention. I think we have uh, instinct and reason, and we've spoken about it a lot, and we found a thing that feels emotionally true. But even then, I think if you break it down, Colin might have different objectives than I do. We might have slightly different like personal objectives or ways that we're bringing in the story. That's just because you're naturally a writer. So like, I don't want to say, oh, well, we're we're writing this about this particular kind of thing or trying to take the modern politic and, and describe it inside of a. I don't do that. What I will say is, I think that's very very astute, and I think moreover. The idea that the strength of Bucky Barnes is that he doesn't wait for permission from his conscience. His conscience gives him fucking full bore permission to stand up for what's right, where Steve kind of agonizes about that a lot more. Bucky mm. Bucky doesn't. And what that required, that's made him a great sidekick to that character, but it's also now given him this really excellent ability to step into the world and demand results himself, to be the person who says, hey, we need to do something. We need to actually stop this. Like, I I don't know, as Jackson Lansing, right? I don't know if Marvel will keep the Red Skull off the table when we are done. But I can tell you that we are, we are as writers and as storytellers, like Bucky, trying to take him out for good like i don't i don't want this character around anymore not because he's he's a bad character but because he is representative of a philosophy that we need to bag and 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 throw away forever and i think it's i think bucky is able to look at that and say all right time for results time to stop having this conversation nazis are bad i've decided we're now let's move on to the results phase <laughs> and i do think that that is what he's doing is that a big political statement I want to talk about that. Is it is it a, is it absolutely true to the character? Absolutely, I, to me. Gotta. Uh, he's the only one who can deliver justice, like lightning. Oh, <laughs> you <laughs> dog! Ah, uh, you know they should make that a catchphrase. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'll write Daddy Marvel about it. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Uh, you know, it's it, how long will they keep Red Skull off the table? That's a great question. I mean, like J. M. Demetrius you know, killed the Red Skull in issue 300 of Captain America. It took 350 before Mark Grunewald, you know, revealed that he was back. Uh, you know, that's a long time in the comic world, right? So, uh, you know, who's to say? Who's to say? Hopefully they keep him off the table for a long time. So uh, Brent Beisel uh, asks, first of all, I want to thank Jackson and Colin for the run on Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. I really enjoyed the run and was sad to see it end so abruptly, but I'm excited to see them pick up some of those threads in the new Thunderbolt series. Some of my favorite Captain America stories are the ones that don't include Steve Rogers. I know that sounds crazy, but I've often found that the character and legend of Steve Rogers grows the largest in his absence when his friends and successors discuss 
and compare themselves to Steve. With so many cap-related characters in Thunderbolts, can we expect some of the same here? Uh, I think it literally happens in issue one. I, I can, I, that, that one, I, I defer you to page, I'm going to think, I think it's like page eight, panel two, page nine, panel two, somewhere around there, um, where uh, Bucky is like, did you tell Steve about this? And Sharon's like, I did not tell Steve about this. And that we just, we have a little, yeah. little point with these two is they both say like, yeah, we're about to go take out Steve's longest nemesis. Neither of us could bear to tell him because he would try to stop us and we don't want to deal with that. Yeah. I, I think, I think they, I think Thunderbolts by its very nature says right up front, Steve shouldn't know. It's better if Steve doesn't know. And is that true? I don't know. That's Bucky's framework. That's what mm -hmm. Bucky believes. Is that true from a larger perspective? Probably not. Probably if he finds out down the line some way, maybe again, who knows what happens in story. I, I don't know what power we're going to have and, what we're going to be able to do as we go down the line. I know that in a, in a perfect world, I would love to see this stuff ripple and, and continue to build out that relationship because Steve's absence in Thunderbolts, while not a thing that we comment on often, we is something that we comment on directly in one. For sure. I think it's just like all of us. It's very easy to, it's all, it's very easy to be a good person when the best person is in the room with you. The question becomes, can you maintain that ide ideology? Can you maintain those ethics even when they've left the room? And I think that is, to Brett's point, great a great observation. Steve Rogers is about inspiring the people around him, but he's not there to be the den mother. Um, you need to be able to take that drive and take those that that those learnings into your own life, even when he's not looking over your shoulder. What um, is this? Our farewell letter from Sentinel Liberty finale. <laughs> <laughs> It bears revisiting. Why not? <laughs> I, 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 listen. I'm taking away from this. I have never, ever heard Captain America referred to as a den mother before. So, I, uh, that's that's my takeaway. Not, not a den mother. Let's be clear. Not a den mother. Okay. All right, uh, guys. So, besides Thunderbolts, what else is keeping you busy in 2024? I know you have Outsiders for DC. Are there any projects coming up that you could share with the listeners? Sure, yeah. Um, so Timeless uh, is coming from Marvel on Christmas Day uh, or thereabouts. Uh, it is our Christmas present to you, uh, the Marvel readership. It is a big, crazy uh, science fiction fight throwdown between the last two standing heroes at the end of time in the Marvel universe. Uh, it is a, a new weird future with two very strange new characters, uh, a new reimagining of Power Man and a new reimagining of Moon Knight. Um, standing against each other at the end of all things. It is also a preview at the next year of Marvel Comics, um, so there are some teases as to what's coming in Thunderbolts, as well as in a lot of other books, Captain America, I believe, um, and, uh, you know, Mortal Thor, and, and on and on and on. Um, so lots of cool stuff there, and hopefully the beginning of something that we're, we're going to be able to play with a little bit more uh, in the Marvel Universe. Stay tuned. Um, so that's the big one, and then uh, at least at Marvel, we, Guardians of the Galaxy, we are bringing to a close right now. Uh, out to uh, the annual, which is uh, sort of our, our uh, unofficial issue 11 uh, that is ending that series. And that is another one of these, like we knew we were going to get a short run and we've really like built it around an ending. We broke all the toys in the first half so that we could put the mech together in the second. And um, we're in the middle of what Bleeding Cool has started uh, affectionately referring to as our uh, family therapy every session, every issue uh, version of Guardians of the Galaxy, but they're right, it is, and that rocks, so get off us. 
Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, we've got Outsiders over at DC. Um, this is just like Thunderbolts. This is a brand new take on the Outsiders. Uh, it doesn't have any of the DNA of what you might be expecting. Uh, it is the it is new adventures of Kate Kane and Luke Fox uh, and their new ally, a uh, strange woman named Drummer. Uh, as the three of them take on the archaeology and the forgotten corners of the DC universe specifically uh, at the kind of corners of reality uh it is a you can it's been they've been clear about it it is a 12 issue maxi series um it is easily the wildest uh and mm, let's call it most grant morrison uh of all the books that we've done i'd say it has a real look at um the nature of stories within stories themselves i'm fucking super proud of it uh people should strap in and if they want to check that out uh, yeah, outsiders, outsiders is going to be the craziest thing we've done in a long time. I'm, I'm so proud of this book. Can't wait for people to see it. Of course, uh, we have our ongoing uh, Star Trek series. I know our DC Marvel fans uh, don't necessarily cross over with our Star Trek fans, but uh, we are going strong over at IDW's Star Trek line. Uh, continues to be some of the best Star Trek I think we have ever uh, imagined checking out, and it's incredible that we're the ones making it. Hmm. Another serial moment. Oh my God, we can, that's a whole different conversation, my guys. <laughs> uh, and we uh, we recently were going to be having uh, uh, our, fir our first in a long time, a creator-owned book, Whiff Wolf, which will be coming out uh, later uh, or at the beginning of next year. April of uh, next year. Whiff Wolf. Be, uh, April of, of 24. April of 24, yeah. Okay, so okay. It was, it was supposed to be out a little bit earlier, but production post-COVID has just been such a nightmare. Um, How do you so spell that? It'll be out in April. W-I-F-W-U-L-F. With Wolf. What's it about? Uh, it is, right. uh, it's a short form story that we put together with this incredible young artist uh, named uh, Dalen Ogden. Uh, it is the story of a young woman, Charity, uh, who is in a post-Civil War kind of America, who gets betrothed to a young man, the kind of golden boy of the village. Uh, and as things kind of devolve, we start to explore the idea of um, what is the difference between a person of the town and a wolf of the forest, as she kind of starts to engage in the kind of more um, lupin aspects and freedom that we find uh, within the woods. It's really a story about freedom. It's a story about pain. Um, it's a story about abuse in a lot of ways. Um, it's really heavy and it's really beautiful. And we really know that it will find its right audience um, to folks who are uh, a, a little bit more looking for the kind of more um, a modern fairy tale, if you will. Um, it's, it's, it's the closest thing we've done to the Vertigo books that inspired us a lot growing up. Um, I think it has a lot of sort of Neil Gaiman DNA in that regard. Um, but it's also very singular, uh, I think, because it comes from Dalen's uh, and Dalen uh, is an incredible artist. They, they're really, um, they've, they've grown a pretty solid fan base over print art, not a lot of like sequentials. Um, but this is something they've wanted to do for a really long time. And when they came to us with it, it was with the idea that they wanted to talk, to, talk about abuse that they'd been through in their life and find ways to express it and understand it through the art and they challenged us to write that story which i thought was a really interesting way to do things because in a lot of ways it was like our artist was also our editor um and was able to help like guide the project and get it where it needed to go um so dalen it's really a showcase for dalen we're kind of there as like 
I don't know. It's like I, I often refer to us as like a band. I think this is the one of the few times we've come in and been like a backing band. Like we're there, we're the band, but we like we have a special guest star lead singer. Yeah, it's Dalen Ogden and the Hive Mind. It's Dalen Ogden and the Hive Mind, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, coming yeah. from us directly is our uh, our first uh, true creator owned series coming early next year. Can't uh, talk about it. You can't talk about it. It's not announced. It's not announced. We can't talk about it. Well, how do people find out more information? Is it still the best way to follow you on Twitter for both of you guys, or is there a better place? Uh, we can be found at, uh, uh, unfortunately, still at Twitter, uh, at Jackson Lansing on Twitter. It's an easy way to find me, um, or on Instagram at Found in the Wild. I admit this de-evolution de de of social media has really left us out in the cold. I feel like we should have like a a um, newsletter or something, but. We're too busy writing comics. <laughs> we just we're too busy writing. We can't write more. Sounds yeah. good. Well, listen, yeah. Colin Jackson, thanks so much for joining the show. It was a pleasure having you guys As back always. on again, and uh, and we're we're excited for what's coming next with our favorite characters in the in the pages of the Thunderbolts, and and uh, enjoy as always uh, your your writing and inspiration. Oh, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Thanks, this guys. Has been thank a pleasure. We always love guys. Again. And thank you very much to your fans who both support you and support us. So they do. Shields up, everybody. Shields up. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Bob, that was a, a another fun conversation with Jackson and Colin, the hive mind. Those guys are, they got a lot of energy. They they know how to bring it. They really do. They, uh, um, they're just entertaining is all get entertaining is all get out. And, uh, but also like just thinkers, man. I just love the way they think. Um, and clearly their, their reverence for the material, uh, for the art, for the genre, um, it really comes through. So always a, always a treat to, to talk to those two. Yeah. What was it about the, the what, what really stood out to the most to you, Bob? Well, you know, I just love the way that they, you know, they wanted to plumb the history of, you know, the Thunderbolts, right? I mean, it's, it was amazing to me, uh, you know, they're, you know, of course they brought the Destroyer, the new Destroyer over from, you know, their previous series, right? But right, yeah. bringing Shotgun back as, uh, you know, as the Red Guardian. And uh, although I got to tell you, uh, a bit of me, a bit of me is like, oh, you know, you can clearly see the parallels between uh, what's coming forth in MCU uh, just in the way that they've illustrated that character um, and, and the way it's portrayed in, in the movies. Uh, well, we'll see if they come back for a fourth time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can get them on that SNL uh, hierarchy and right. uh, and yeah. uh, be number one at some point. So, um, but anyway, uh, you know, coming up next episode, Bob, um, we I'm excited because we are kicking off uh, our new long tail story meaning we're going to do one issue per episode and we're going to do it the second Wednesday of every month for the next six months because we're going as the fans have voted of all the stories that they that we should cover. This one got the most votes and that is from 1990 Streets of Poison. Yep, sure did. Sure did. did we, now, were you shocked at those uh, at those results? No, not really. Yeah, it wasn't even. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, yeah, we kind of <laughs> called it, but 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 it's but it's nice to know that yeah. that uh, this is what the what the listeners want. So, yeah, of course. Uh, Streets of Poison Part One, Captain America three seventy two. Come back next episode, episode one seventy, and we will cover that panel by panel. Indeed. Well, Bob, 
as always, it's been so much fun wrapping cap with you. Indeed. I can't wait to do this again next week. All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Furbanis. And you need to go do a rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen on any podcast, as we really do appreciate that. Uh, and thanks for listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Thank you.